Welcome to the Access Church Podcast. Grab out your note sheet and let's jump right into today's sermon. That's right. Our, if there's any elementary school kids in here, that's right. We're, uh, I think they're all back there. None of them want to hang out with the old people. Yeah, I think you got them all. Hey, next week too, we start our uh, sixth through eighth grade middle school. Andrew in the back. Andrew, raise your hand. He's going to be leading that. So middle school students finally are like, thank God we're done with these old people. Yes, you guys get to hang around, play games, have fun, and, uh, and spend time with Andrew. He's really looking forward to it and just helping you guys understand who God is, enjoy it, and uh, talk more about it. Um, all right, today is going to be a really, really good day. We got food. What kind of food do we have? I think we have the Lord Liardi Lee. I think we have like tacos and burritos. So we mix it up. We want sandwiches. So we're going to mix it up, get a little spicy today. So... Uh, we have baptism today. We've got two baptisms today. That's another. Not golf clap. Real clap. Come on. Real clap. Yeah. Two baptisms uh, today. And then also, um, where are the Pondavitas? Where are they? Right there. Right, right there. Hey, are we, uh, did you want to dedicate Weston today too? We're dedicating, man, we're dedicating babies. We're baptizing people. Um, and so it's just going to be uh, an exciting day today. So that's what's happening. So hang around for lunch afterwards, mingle around, talk. Uh, it's going to be a good day. Today, we're also starting a new series. If you have your Bibles or it's on your phone, we're in Ephesians, which is in the New Testament. And there's a bunch of letters written to early churches like, hey, this is what, how you need to run. This is how you need to think about your faith in Jesus and all that kind of stuff. So we're starting in Ephesians. I'm going to be explaining a little bit about that uh, today. So that's going to be a, a, a cool start for us. Hey, I know I didn't ask you guys, but you're taking off. Can I pray for you guys today before you take off? Do you mind coming up? You, you don't have to say anything. Do you mind? Or you want, you want to stay there? Or? Come on up here. Um, as I said before, we got a lot going on today. Uh, this is Bryce and Allie, and they have uh, just been such an encouragement in our church. They've been a part of our connection groups our, so we get in homes and talk about uh, the sermon, we talk about the Bible. If that's something you're interested in, I don't know how you can grow in faith and really know Jesus if you're not talking with people. That's why we kind of practice it here today. Um, it should never come from one person. It should never come from one person where you're like, I get all my information about Jesus. Go to the Bible, go to other Christians. That's what we're about here. And so um, again, Wednesday and Thursday nights, if you're not involved, let us know. We'd love to uh, get you in a home for a discussion. But these guys are part of that. They've inspired us with ministry. Um, they uh, have done a lot of service. I'm blanking on the name off the top of my head, but uh, play free. That's right. So as far as child trafficking, uh, they work with uh, a lot of times behind the scenes with teams that go in. We're talking break down doors and rescue. We have a ministry here uh, that does that. These guys are involved, really inspired us. We've given money and just hearing the stories, uh, the, uh, the women uh, that uh, come out of that lifestyle. Um, I think we decorated Bibles for them. And so just these guys whether you know it or not, have encouraged our church and just their faith, their vibrancy. Uh, and so they are moving, uh, we don't know why, but to Visalia up in San Joaquin Valley. I don't know why anyone would go from here to there. I lived in Bakersfield and I moved from there to here, never to go back, but they're, uh, they're going back. I have to actually drive. If I visit you, drive through Bakersfield, so I'm going to be triggered and all that kind of stuff. But um, we're just excited for them. A young married couple, uh, Bryce is starting his career up there. And so we want to be praying for him. He uh, is doing work that's a little bit dangerous. And so uh, climbing poles and working on the uh, electrical, what is it, just, yeah, power lines pretty much. And so praying for his safety. Pray for him as a Christian, though, too. Uh, he's in an environment where there's a lot of darkness, humor, perspective, lifestyle, and this guy's a light. And so, and then just praying for uh, them, encouragement. And uh, are we praying for a church? You guys think you found one yet up there? You're going to check a few out? Yeah. So let me just pray, then we're going to jump into things. Uh, Jesus, even though in a sense they're leaving, we want to send them as a church, as missionaries. Because every, all of us are missionaries. If we know you, every school we work at, every business we're a part of, every neighborhood we're at, that's a missions field, God. And so I pray for Bryce and Allie. I pray their marriage would shine brightly about you. That people would know what love is, what respect is, what sacrificial service is by the way they're married. I pray their words, Lord, then would have power behind it by their character. Lord, we pray that you would anoint them 
to reach people who don't know you but are seeking you. They're looking for peace and love and hope. And so God, I pray that um, they would just be an encouragement to the church that they're a part of. Give them the confidence of where they're to be. Which church is the church for them to not only be fed, but also to help feed others? And God, I just pray for them that this would be the beginning of a new chapter uh, with work and that you would keep him safe. Provide for Allie too as she's going to be looking and all that, Lord. And so we just ask God that their faith would just grow measurably and we'd be encouraged as we hear the stories. And I look forward to visiting them down the road, Lord. And I just pray for them as they grow, Lord, as you provide for them kids down the road, grandkids, all that, that that legacy of faith would start now as their faith just grows solid in you. And so God, protect them in every way. And we know you love them. And we've just been so thankful for their lives uh, in, in our church. We're going to miss them. But God, we also know they're going to be a blessing to other people. So we're thankful for that in your name, Jesus. Amen. Yeah. We miss you guys. Yep. Yeah. Proud of you guys. Yeah. You guys got to work on your clapping. It's like, I don't know what you got. Yeah, it's like everybody's so proper. You know. got to get you guys some horns and some things like that. Man. Maybe it's seven cups of coffee for me. Maybe that's, I'm a little amped up right now. He's like, bro, you need to bring it down. Bring it down. Um, Ephesians uh, chapter one. And uh, Ephesians is a, a book written by Paul, who was a very famous uh, missionary uh, used by God. Uh, to really grow the early church uh, in modern-day Turkey, in the Middle East. Uh, back then, Turkey was called uh, Asia, Asia Minor, so the names were a little bit different, but that's the part of the world that he was really working, and he got even into Greece and, and into Italy, and so you see the impact geographically. That's what this guy did in his, his lifetime when he became a, a Christian. And so this is written to a specific city, Ephesus, but it's really to also the suburbs like we have here. So it's like, it's like if, if a, a, a missionary wrote a letter to, let's say, Los Angeles, but also went to like San Bernardino, Riverside, they kind of consider that all one. It's kind of that same vibe. So this letter would actually be passed on to a lot of different churches. Paul was in prison when he wrote this, just so you know. So uh, he was in prison and he wrote this letter as he was praying for the church. Um, and he really cared about this area and this church because he spent three years there. If you read Acts chapter 19 and 20, and Acts is about the book of the church growing. So if you want to know, like, how did the church start and grow when Jesus said, peace out, I'll be back in a little bit. The book of Acts tells you about that. And so we've seen chapters 19 and 20, Paul went to Ephesus. And uh, so he was there for three years, which was one of the longest times he was in a certain area. So he spent a lot of time with these people. And so he's writing a letter to them several years later. He's in prison, planted the church, left, and now he's writing a letter in retrospect kind of to them as he's heard about how the church is doing it. So I thought it'd be cool for us as a church right now, over the next few months, just to study the book of Ephesians and what does it mean to be a church and a people of God. And so we see as it starts out here, Ephesians 1, chapter 1, verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Christ, apostle just means sent one, messenger, that's all it means. So Paul, one who is sent by Christ, by the what? What's that next word? By the will of God. We're going to see this as a theme. Paul's trying to set up a theme here. So he says, listen, I'm an apostle, but it's by the will of God. It's not by my own choice. I don't get the credit for it. You can see over and over, Paul's like, listen, we give way too much credit for ourselves and not enough credit to God. So he says, listen, I'm an apostle, but don't make that a word that all of a sudden becomes super Christian. I'm just a sent one, but it's by the will of God. To God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. So just as a normal opening, how most letters are kind of, uh, uh, that he writes, how he opens up. Now he goes in and he says, listen, verse three, praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us. Uh, you're seeing a theme here. God chose Paul. God chose us. God chooses. When God chooses you, good luck outrunning him. He's really fast. And he's really tenacious. The Bible describes him as a consuming fire. I don't know if you've ever been around a fire. I lived up in the mountains for a little bit. Those things are scary. Those things move. You're not going to outrun one. 
And he likes that visual. He's like, I'm a consuming fire. I want to hunt you down. I'm going to hunt you down. Not to destroy you, though, to renew you, to rebuild you. So it shows his passion. God is not someone who creates his universe and says, good luck. Some of us believe he's passive. And then the whole world is on our shoulders, and that's why you're stressed out. That's why maybe your hope level was down to a one. Because you're thinking it's in a president. You're thinking it's in a government. You're thinking it's in education. We all desire hope. Sometimes we just forget where to find it. And Jesus says, I'm the only one. And so it says here that, that he's blessed us and that he chose us in him before creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined. That word predestined is just a Christianese word. just means to choose and advance. Again, it's this theme. I chose you before you chose me. Isn't that cool to be chosen too? Like, because I know it's cool because it stinks when you're not chosen, right? We all know this. We all know this growing up in, right, middle school. You remember lining up? I don't know if kids still do that today where you line up and you choose, right? Some of us don't even want to think back. We're in counseling because of that, right? because we were the last ones chosen. That was the worst, right? You're lining up, and the two best kids at whatever you're playing, they, of course, you're just like, ah, oh, geez. And if you hated them, like if you made fun of them, you know they weren't gonna, and they're like, I take him, I take him, I take him. And I'm sorry, ladies, but if you're a dude, I'm sorry, but it's just the worst. I was like, I'll take Sally. I'll take, you know, girl on crutches. And you're just sitting there, right? You're just feeling your fourth grade. You haven't hit puberty yet. Your voice is all over the place. You know, kids on crutches are getting taken before you. And you're just like, that was the worst, right? But if you were chosen first, right, you were pumped. If it was like, uh, my choice isn't, it's like, like, me, 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 right? It was cool to be chosen. Any of us that have been adopted, powerful. I mean, as cool as I know for us, we're like, oh, it's, it's powerful to have your own baby in the process and be pregnant. Yeah, yeah. It's incredible to be adopted or if you have adopted because someone chose you. Those of you that were pregnant and bore that baby, you did not choose that child that came out. Some of you are like, I know. And I remind them, <laughs> right? But how cool when it's like, I choose that one. You don't know anything about me. I'm going to love you. God chose you. If he chose you, he did it for a reason. You don't choose a child and then neglect the child. You choose a child to love them, to give them a new name. Give them hope. Give them a home. Give them a future. Why are you running away from Jesus when he's already chosen you? To give you a hope and a future. It's not all on you. You don't have to stress. You don't have to wonder what's tomorrow, what's going to happen in the future. Blah, blah. I got all that. What child, when they're six years old, says, do you have rent this month? What? No child's going to ask that. You know? Do you, do, do you know what's going I got you. I got you. Ah, the peace that comes from him choosing us in love he predestined us for adoption, adoption, the sonship through Christ Jesus, in accordance with his pleasure and will, the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us and the ones that he loves. Paul starts off that says, listen, every healthy church has to understand this. His church, it's not your church. It's not my church. When we run this church, what we've got to be careful of is sometimes we want to run it the way the world tells us to run it. Don't step on anybody's toes. Don't offend. Don't do this. Be not, and we're nervous. And God says, no, I run the church. You come in here, I'm going to be the primary voice. Because I've chosen you to change you, to give you hope, because you don't have that on your own. To change you because we don't know how to love. Just being born, we don't know how to love well. We don't have self-control. We appear to have self-control, but behind the scenes, we do crazy, crazy things that we do not want to tell anybody. He goes, I want to change your heart, your mind, your words, and everything. And he's chosen us to do that, to be a part of his family. He says, so the healthy church has to understand this is all by the will of God. Every church, we are one of thousands of churches chosen by the will of God. And this is where it's cool too. If God chose the church, We've got to be careful how we speak about the church. Because he doesn't say that the church is perfect. He doesn't say the church is perfect. But he says the church is needed. And we're going to see how important it is later on. Why the church, the local church, is important. So when someone says, well, I follow Jesus, 
I just want to be part of the church. You actually diminish who he is because he says, the church is what I'm about, and that's where I'm going to do my work is through the church, not through an individual, through a group of people. He goes on to say, I'm going to jump down to verse 18 because he, he, he has this theme of predestination and, and me choosing and, and, and God choosing us and by the will of God. And then Paul goes into a prayer. So in light of this, that God has chosen us and that's out of love he's predestined us to be a part of his family, the church, he's, he prays this prayer. I pray that the eyes of verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. That word no is interesting because in Greek, there can be many variations of no. One is just like an intellectual, like, oh yeah, I kind of know of it. Uh, no is the same word that's used for sex as far as knowing someone. So there's an intimacy where I, I, I know that person. Not facts, I know them intimately, right? Emotionally, their body and things like that. This one's different. This no actually means to perceive. It means to perceive. Have you ever said to someone, oh, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. That's what he says. He says, when I talk about hope, I want you to know where it's like, oh, I see what you're saying about hope. I see what you're saying as far as how the cross brings hope. Because all of us are paranoid of death. Even those that act cool as a cucumber and think, ah, it's not a big deal. No, everybody's paranoid about it. Because really, we're going to live this life. We're going to love. We're going to educate ourselves. We're going to strive. We're going to go for trophies and money. And then nobody's going to remember it. And we just go to the dust and that's it. That, that's what this whole thing's about. If that's what it's about, no wonder we act animalistic. No wonder there's lying and cheating and murders and hypocrisy and, and shame and all kinds of stuff. No wonder, because there, there's no point to all this. There's no point. I know some of you are like, oh man, this is depressing. It is without Jesus. I don't understand how people live without a God, without someone that says there's a future. This is all pointless. And Jesus says, but I give you a point. That's where I bring in hope. And he says, do you see hope? Do you see hope as far as where the world is trying to keep trusting men and women in power, hoping they'll bring hope? How many times do we have to fail? They don't bring hope. Nobody in authority, nobody with power. There is no legislation that can bring hope. Only Jesus brings hope. And then I see that. Where the world, we need forgiveness. True forgiveness. We need repentance. We need purpose and perspective from one greater than ourselves. That's where hope comes from. Whenever you have a loss of hope in someone's life or family, you have a loss of God. And when you have someone that understands the greatness and goodness of God, you have someone that abounds in hope. When I do counseling, a lot of times there's all kind of counseling techniques and how do I bring hope into my marriage? And, and I'm doing all these, and I know the techniques and I can do them. But you know the basic one that I really love to get to is where's God in your life? That changes relationships. It, changes, it brings hope into a family. He says, my prayer is that you would be enlightened or that you may know to perceive the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. So he says, hope comes from not just what God is doing now, but what he's giving you later. What he's giving you later. Hold on to that hope, right? And he says that in his incomparable, is it incompar incomparably or incomparably? Which one? English teachers, incomparably. Okay, thank you. I got a C in English, so it's okay. All right. And his incomparably great power. Uh, the word power, just so you know, is where we get dunamis. It's where we get dynamite. That's where we get the word dynamite. In his great dynamite. In his great dynamic. So he goes, listen, that this hope is built on God's great power, his great dynamite, his great explosiveness for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Is that crazy? The same power. And can you perceive this? Do you find hope in this? The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you when you follow him. Is that nuts? Does anybody feel like, like this week they've been living with the power that resurrected Jesus in their lives? Most of us are like, Mm. <laughs> right? But it's in you. That's why Jesus says, listen, apart from me, you can do nothing. You remember that when he says that? Apart from me, you can do nothing. I have a great iPhone. The, 
The iPhone I have, do you realize it's more powerful than the computers they built in the 70s and 80s and I have in my hand? And we're talking walls, computers that are, and in my hand, it's more powerful. The only problem is this. If it's not charged, is it helpful? Right? Some of you have been in that situation. You're like, no, and you're trying to use that powerful, amazing phone, but it's not what? Charged. And some of you, you're so valuable in Christ and you understand the love of Christ, but you're not plugged into Jesus. You're trying to do it on your own. You see, he saved you by grace. He chose you for your mind to understand of his amazing love because it's a supernatural thing to believe that 2,000 years ago, some Jewish dude died and rose again. That's faith. Anyone that tries to say, oh, I'm going to show you all the archaeology and all that kind of stuff. No, I've done all that. That's all my college life was about debating people. And that one person's like, oh, you know what? Based on archaeology, you're right. Jesus did not know one person. It's a supernatural thing. It's beyond intellect. That's why some of the smartest people struggle to become Christians. That's what I found. Thank God I'm an idiot. I thank God for that. Thank you for being a 2.2 student because I wasn't so arrogant to think I had to figure out how Jesus is God rather than believing Jesus is God. You're so valuable and you're not plugged into him and you give nothing to life. You give nothing to your marriage. You have nothing for your kids but yourself. And Jesus says, I have so much for you. You could be an amazing mom and dad if you'd understand my forgiveness and love. If you'd allow my spirit to speak to you, if you change your words, and rather than demeaning the kids, you build them up. I can change that anger. Well, it's just my family. I was born in Italy and all Italians. No, all Italians aren't that angry, right? Come on. And I love how every nationality is like the Irish people. It's like, no, we're the angry ones. And the Italians, right? And we're all... No, that's no. And we use that, and Jesus is like, yeah, but I go beyond nationality because my blood is supernatural blood. Your blood is natural. And I bring healing to the natural world in a supernatural way. That's what we believe. This is what Paul's saying the church has to be. That's what access church better be. Where we have hope and we live in God's power. I'm not here to impress any of you today. We can't do it. Look, look at that. We have elementary school stuff. We don't, there's, there's no setting here. There's no vibe. I don't have any smoke to make you feel like, oh, I don't have anything. I'm sorry. I know some of you are like, where's the smoke? I want to be, you know, a, don't, we don't have it. I have Jesus. I have a resurrected Savior that is your only hope in life. Your job, your money will disappear. Your health will go. I know some of you are like, no, I'm eating those blueberries. Nope, it don't matter. It don't matter. Those blueberries won't save you. You got to live beyond this life. And here's the thing I want to encourage you. When you live beyond this life is when you can actually live this life. That's where he says hope comes from an inheritance. I don't know if any of you have had an inheritance before or hopefully some of you parents. Come on, leave, leave your kids something. Don't spend it all. <laughs> some of the kids are like, I need to talk to my parents about this inheritance. How cool when your parents set something up for you, right? They set something up for you that helps you. Hey, we have homes that we're going to be able to and pass on to the grandkids and the great-grandkids. You look forward to it, right? You don't steal it from them now, being like, mom, give it to me now. Maybe some of you do. That's weird. We have counseling for that, right? But you don't do that. You let them live, and then they pass it on. And Jesus says, listen, I'm going to pass something on to you. And here's what his glorious inheritance is. Because some of us are like, we grew up in church, and so we hear about crowns, you know? And you'll get these diamonds and these rubies. And so we think like, we're going to get to heaven. He's like, you get like a Burger King crown and we're going to run around heaven with a Burger King. No, no, it's just you guys. No, no, no. You got to get out of children's ministry. We're done. We're past that. His inheritance is this. Everything I am and have, I'm going to give to you. Jesus is the perfection of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. He exemplifies that perfectly. There is no sin in him. Heaven is a place where we're going to interact just like this. We're going, to be inter- we're going to be real. We're going to be doing things without sin because his inheritance, he's going to give us a new heart and a new mind forever. And what he's saying is right now, what I want you to do is those of you that are Christians, I'm giving you a new heart, new mind now. That's to give people hope around you that says, oh, that's what heaven's like. We bring heaven to work. We bring heaven to our families. We bring heaven because he's given us a new heart now. But it's perfected in heaven. It's perfected in heaven. That's the hope that we have.
He goes on to say that, verse 19, the power is the same as, as the, he exerted raising Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and to every name that is invoked. Basically, he's above all, not only in this present age, but the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and pointed him to be head, that's Jesus, over to be head over everything for the what? You can say it. What's the word? Church. Jesus is head of the church. No person or no people. And here's what that means. When we critique the church, they need to do this, they need to do that, they need to do this. That's fine, but is it biblical? Is that what Jesus wants for the church or is that just your opinion? We argue over the silly things. The AC is too high, the AC is too low. Oh, the church, we, we argue with things. Jesus is like, I don't care about that. But Jesus says, let me run the church. And how he runs the church is, listen, he goes on to say, which is his body. The church is his body. We are, we are the ones that represent now. Jesus left and says, now the church fulfills my ministry. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Notice the importance of the church. Jesus is head over the church. Is Jesus head over, did he say, the government, our schools, head over this world? No, he says, for now, Satan gets to have great influence. But Satan has been sentenced by the cross to death forever. He will not be able to influence in heaven anymore. He says, but for now, Jesus' primary authority is over the church, and the church is then to infiltrate and to influence the world, to infiltrate and influence the world as we represent Jesus. Functioning as the body of Jesus. Evie, I'm going to hit these two, these two main points. The first one is this. Function as the body of Jesus is we are a place and a people of hope. That's what access and that's what hopefully all churches seem to be. I believe that you can only find hope in Jesus. If anybody wants to argue me, good luck. Bring it. I'd love to. I haven't had anyone convince me otherwise. If you are lacking hope today, if you, if you said I'm on a one, I'm at a two, the only way to get to a five is Jesus. And if it even has lived long enough, we know this. We tried to put our hope in our looks. Some of us didn't, but some of us did, right? You know, and all it takes is a little bit of time or have four or five kids and I'll change you. You know, it's like, I always remind my kids, I had a full head of hair with no gray before they were born, right? All you got to do is just life changes you. Some of you put it in money. And all it took was a stock market crash. All it took was a scam at work for someone to run off with money. All it took was for you to get fired or laid off. Where's your hope then? Some of us put it in marriage. This person will love me. This. I've been married for almost 25 years. Love my wife. She can't be my hope and I can't be hers. There's no way. It, in fact, the marriage won't last because we will disappoint each other. But a marriage is strong when we say, hey, I've got a partner with you, but my hope is not in you, it's in Jesus. And when you bring Jesus into a marriage, that strengthens it. Thank you. The church is the primary place and people of hope. Christians, if you follow Jesus, we should never lose hope because hope is this. Hope is an unshakable joy and confidence. It's an unshakable joy and confidence in who God is, what he has done, and what he will do. That's what, joy, that's what hope is. Hope is an unshakable confidence of who he is, right? He's loving, he's predestined, he's chosen, he's adopted. What he has done in our life and what he will do forever. And that's the difference between hope and excitement. Excitement is built off something that you don't know if it's gonna happen, but you hope it happens. But it might not, but you're excited. Hope never leaves because you've, you've already experienced, you've already uh, understood and perceived the power and the love of Jesus. Look at what the Bible has to say. Let me read some verses so we can kind of bathe in this a little bit. 1 Peter 3.15. And I'm going to read a bunch of verses. If you're a note taker, just come, go back and listen to the sermon, um, either on podcast or YouTube, or write quickly. 1 Peter 3.15 says this, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Let me ask you guys something. If we're going to be a people in a place of hope, if I were to ask you, why are you hopeful? Can you even give a reason? 
Now, some of us say we're Christians, but if I were to go to your work and say, is that a hopeful person? People are like, "Uh uh-uh, they complain just like I do. They gossip just like I do. So then my question is, how do you call yourself a Christian and have no hope? And I'm not going to answer that. That's, that's, that. that's that awkward moment where you get to answer it in your heart. I know we are, just you know, we love awkward moments at Acris. We're, we're totally okay with it. How do you answer that? Do you have reason for your hope? If people are to ask you, why are you a Christian? Hey, I notice these people, the way they talk and they slander each other. Hey, I notice at work, you don't, why, don't, why don't you do that? Hey, why don't you, when we all go out afterwards, why don't you get drunk? Do you have a reason ready and don't make it a lame answer? Well, you know, I just, I don't want to get in there. Hey, Jesus changed my life. Are you afraid to say the name of Jesus? Don't be shy about it. People need to know because they need hope too and only Jesus is hope. Your morality isn't even their hope. Jesus is their hope. You being a good person isn't their hope. Jesus is their hope. Don't ever forget that. Pressure's not on you. But do you have a reason? Psalm 119, 114 says this, hope in his, uh, or you are my refuge and my shield. I put my hope in your what? In your word. So some of us are like, where do I find hope? Are you in God's word? Do you listen to the Bible? Do you read the Bible? Do you come to church to engage in the Bible? If you lack hope, most of us lack God's word in our life. If you have the words of God, you will have hope. Psalm 147.11 says this, the Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. You have hope because God has loved you. Do you recognize God's love in your life? Have you looked over your life, how he's protected you, how he's provided you? And some of you are like, I'm not even a follower of Jesus right now, but he's already following you. You don't even have to be a Christian for God to love you. It says his light shines on the good and the wicked. Do you recognize that? And some of you, that's going to draw you to Jesus because you're like, whoa, he's loving me before I loved him. He protected me that night that I should have been dead, that I should have overdosed, that I should have been in that accident. Whoa, he protected me by providing that friend that invited me to church, by providing that parent that's been praying for me for the last 20 years. Thank you for that grandmother. Thank you for that uncle. Do you recognize, when you recognize God's love before you loved him, there's hope. Oh man, that conspire. He wants me. He's saying, I'm getting my team together. I want you. The fact that you're here today tells me God's already chasing you down. That makes me super excited. Even if you're not, I'm excited for you. Because when God chases you down, you cannot run him. And I don't care your lifestyle. I don't care your sin. I don't care what you think about. You might be like, Brian, I hate him right now. Great. You'll learn to love him. He's going to chase you down. There's hope in Jesus. 1 Peter 1.13 says this, Therefore, with minds fully alert and, or alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed as coming. Set your hope on the future. Brian, how do you not become hopeless with all the politics and the division and the hypocrisy and the deaths and the famines and the tsunamis? And the, I mean, it's just every day. Every day we can find something to be depressed about. I set my hope on heaven. That if you're, if you're not thinking about eternity, you won't be able to live in today. You've got to set your eyes on the future, and that's what gives me hope, not by looking at my eyes and setting them all around me. Proverbs eleven seventeen reminds us of this. Hope placed in mortals die with them. All the promise of the power comes to nothing. Don't put your hope in a movie star, in a politician, in an educator. It's going to die with them even if they're a good person. It's only in Jesus because he lives forever. 1 Timothy 6.17 reminds us of this, and this is good for us today. Command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. I got my retirement set. I'll be able to buy that next year. I'll be able to do that. I'm a good person because I got money in the bank. Oh, I did it smarter. They weren't smart. They did it. I outsmarted the market. Ooh. Slow down, Rambo. It's a coming. There's an arrogance there, right? Makes me feel good to walk into that room with this kind of a watch, with these kind of clothes. People know I'm established. They know I'm the man. Ooh, it's coming. 
You ever seen that arrogant person that doesn't know that they're talking in the room? They're like, oh, just shut up, right? You're just like, because the downfall's coming. And Jesus says, don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who actually richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Anything you enjoy is given by God. The second thing as far as functioning as a body of Christ is not just a a place and a people of hope, but it's also this, a collective experience of God's power. The church should be a collective experience of God's power. And God's power, when we look at the scriptures, is this. Now, what is power? Power is, is an explosion that moves things, right? Power is like strength and speed. If you're in the athletics, power is strength, right? Strong weight, right? But speed, boom, it moves, right? And when it hits something, it makes an impact. That's power. And he says the power of God makes an impact. The power of God talks about how throughout the scriptures that this power impacts us intellectually. It changes the way I think. I no longer just think about myself in life. I think about others. People are no longer annoying me. They're brothers and sisters that need to be saved like me. Oh, he changes the way I think. Oh, all of us are sinners and fall short of God's glory. So I don't have to judge and condemn my marriage partner, my kids, that person at school. If I knew their story, maybe I would be acting just like them. People in prison, oh, they deserve it. Maybe if you grew up, you'd be in the same position. So I visit the prisons. I visit the poor. Power. God's spirit changed my mind. I no longer seek judgment. I seek love, reconciliation, repentance. How does that happen? The power of God. It makes an angry young man that wants to fight everybody become a man that also wants to serve everybody. Oh, Brian, you're a pastor. You're such a good guy. No, no, I'm a whore. No, you, no. God took someone that if people knew as a, if people growing up in my high school knew as a pastor, they would say that is the dumbest, horrible church ever. If that guy, if that guy, Brian, in 1988 is leading the church, run from that church. But the power of God changed me. And also my desires to just race bikes and have people applaud and look at me. Please look at me as an athlete. Please look at me as someone that's competent. Please, gone power of God. So a lot of times we think the power of God is like miracles got to happen, right? The power of God is like, we need to be a place of the power of God. And are you using a crutch? And we kick the crutch out and by the power of God, right? You know, we're like, Ooh, that's powerful. And you know, what God says that that's not, come on. Because even if you kick that cane away, how many years later they're dead anyway? Like, like what did that really do? He's like the greatest power is a heart and mind right now that is hardened to him that also wants to follow him. That's the greatest thing right now. A soul in this room that is dead to Jesus is resurrected. There's something in you that says, I get it. He says, that is the greatest miracle of all. So a powerful church is one where we're baptizing people. Huh? Where, where people are going from living for themselves to living for Jesus. In a church, that should be happening regularly. It shouldn't be abnormal. It's the power. That's the power that he exudes. So it's intellectual, it's behavioral, It's spiritual and it's physical. It's all these things. The church should be a collective experience of God's power. 1 Corinthians 4.20 reminds us of this. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. How I feel, how I think, what I think God should do, what I think, blah, blah, blah. No, the kingdom of God is about power. Things change, lives change. I help change other people's lives. That's what it's about, not talk and jibber-jabber. And oh, theologically, what do you believe about the second coming? And it's going to come in this and who cares? Power is what it's about. Not if you can figure out the future. Second Timothy 1 through 7 says this, the spirit of God does not make us timid, but gives us what? You guys, right? What's going on? You clap like this. I'm going to say it again. Here's your cue. John, you were on it. You're going to lead us again. For the Spirit of God does not make us timid, but gives us what? All right, now settle down. Settle down now. That's too much. Jeez. Yeah. Power, self-discipline, and love. 
This is what God pours into your heart. If you want to know, am I a Christian? One of the things you got to wrestle with is not just do you know about the Bible, and I've memorized a Bible verse. Great, demons know the Bible. Do you realize that if we had a Bible contest right now, most demons could outperform you, and we would give them a Bible sticker? Some of us are worried, does my kid memorize Bible verses? How about this? You exemplify Jesus to your kid so the Bible makes sense to them. How about this? We praise our kid when they actually love someone rather than memorize a Bible verse. When they actually forgive a kid at school rather than us saying, you did what to you? Punch that sucker in the face. Oh, okay. Well, that's going to, right? No. Give the sticker when there's a power of God, not just knowledge of God. The Holy Spirit gives us power. Power does not come from yourself. 2 Corinthians 12.9 says this. This is Jesus speaking to Paul. Paul's in prison, and he says this, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Do you realize the weaker you are, the stronger God is? Some of you are trying so hard to become strong in Christ in your own strength. And he says, stop it. Some of us don't want to be weak. We want to be completely confident, have everything, all our ducks in a row, and God goes, that's great but that's you working, not me. You will feel weak as a Christian, and that's when God is great. We will feel weak as a church, and that's when God is great. And when we get cocky as a church, thinking we got the money, we got the time, we got the talent, we got everything we need, God says, that's great. You got all of you, but none of me. The only way the Holy Spirit can pour into the cup of your heart is for you to pour out the garbage that's already in there. Empty it. Repent. Say, Jesus, I need you, none of me. And then he says, I'm going to start pouring in. How does he pour in? Through God's people, through God's spirit, and through God's word. You've got to get God's word in you. You've got to be around God's people. And you've got to listen to his spirit. And he changes your life by the power of God. That's all I got. I'm done. Um, yeah, that's it. My, that's it. There's no more there. I actually forgot my ending, so I'm sorry. It says end, and I didn't write anything there. So, yeah, guess I didn't think that one completely through. I'm excited for our church, but I'm excited if we let Jesus run it and try to be his body rather than try to be some fancy put-together church. I'm excited for those of you, whether it's your first time here, whether you're thinking about God or whether some of you are like, I, don't even, I could care less about him right now. That's cool that you're here. And he brought you here. You didn't bring yourself. Your family didn't bring him. He brought you. He's going to chase you down. And this week, I'm going to pray that he chases you down, tackles you, exerts his power on you, and changes your life. I know it's weird. I know it's awkward, but it's, it's needed. You know, it's interesting, like with dog training and things like that. We have a dog that um, when your dog gets wild or won't listen, you know what you're supposed to do? Some of you are like, what, hit it with a newspaper, spray the bottle, right? You try all these things. Or some of us yell. We think if we get louder, stop it, stop it, shut up. You're like, right? doesn't do it. You know what you're supposed to do with a dog is you grab the dog and pin him down. Because a dog needs to know who the master is. And I know some of you are like, oh my God, my little puppy. Like you have a little chihuahua. You're like, I don't want to, you know, just use one finger and put the chihuahua down. You know, you don't have to. But you, you know what the dog needs? The dog is getting anxious. The dog's thinking I'm going to be the one in control and doesn't view that you're in control, which you should be. And when you pin the dog down and you just go in its ear, shh, good puppy, that's it. It says it actually calms the dog down. It actually, and you feel, we've done it to our dog, Bailey, and she actually relaxes. You're not in control, Bailey. Stop barking, stop biting, you know, just calm down. Some of this, this is what God needs to do to you. God's got to pin you down, be like, you're not in control. And I want to give you purpose larger than this life. I want to change your marriage. I want to change your heart. I want to change your family, your grandkids, your great-grandkids, and you're ruining it right now because you're not living for eternity, and he's your hope. If that's your desire today, maybe some of you right now are like, man, I need to get to it. Jesus says, listen, it's not a bunch of these religious things where you got to sing and dance and cry. You make a commitment in your heart saying, Jesus, I'm yours. Get to his word, start hanging around his people, and listen to his spirit. That can start today. So if you want to take communion, and listen, we buy these cheap communion cups because we don't want to spend a lot of money on them, all right? But here's the thing. Here's the thing. There's nothing special about that juice. 
Nothing special about it. What's special is if God's doing something in your heart. So what you can do is I encourage you with this. You're like, I want to make that commitment. Take communion today. Say, Jesus, I'm yours. And just thank him. Thank him for how he's already loved you. Put your hope in him. Acknowledge that Jesus died and rose again for your forgiveness and to give you a hope that when you die, you will rise again. And if you have questions, boom, we'll go out to lunch. You can pay and I'll talk to you all that you want, all right? And it's good to go. But take communion today if that's your commitment. If you're already a Christian, take communion because your hope is in him. So the worship team's gonna come up right now. We're gonna take some time. If, again, if you're new to this, we're just gonna sing a few songs because I talk really fast. So some of you might be like, I need to slow down. Like, like you've been drinking from a fire hose right now, right? Just slow down, listen to these words. Let, let God speak to you directly. Let him encourage you. If you want to take communion by yourself, great. If you want to take it as family or friends and pray together, great. You can take it and you can go anywhere around the room. You can go outside, you can go to your chairs. We don't give you communion. That's between you and Jesus. I'm not the middleman. You just go straight to him, okay? So you can take communion or if you just want to sit there and worship. And then once we're done with worship, we're going to dedicate Weston uh, that God would just show him through the Ponte Vida family his love. And then we're going to have our baptism and we're going to eat, and we're going to go home and take a nap. That's the day. All right, so, Jesus. Jesus, thank you so much that you are not a God who hides. You are not a God who creates and runs. You're a God who reveals. You're a God who communicates. And my prayer is that all of us would have hope in you. I, I don't understand why we keep putting our hope in people that will either die or disappoint us. I don't understand it. It's insanity. We keep doing it over and over again. And then we get bitter. And then we get anxious. And then we start just vegging out because we can't handle the pressure. And you're like, I've got hope for you. I've got a future. I will not only show you eternal life, I will show you how to live this life now. So God, I just pray for every single person here that they would be believers, that we put our trust in you, our future in you, our today in you, our relationships in you. And I pray your power would be exerted in us and through us. I pray for a change of heart. I pray for a change of mind. I pray for a change of marriage. I pray for a change of friendships. And I pray for hope. I pray this week we cannot help but live with unabound hope that cannot be shaken by this world. We worship you now because you deserve our worship, Jesus. In your name, amen. All right, guys, a quick seat. And then uh, we're going to go out for the baptism. A few things want to get done. Uh, first of all, uh, Ileana, go ahead and come on up here. I want her to share, uh, so when you see her get baptized, kind of her story. Uh, so go ahead and welcome her up here. We're going to put you on this mic right here. All right, I'm an idiot. Is it Ileana or Ileana? Ileana. Yeah, I am an idiot. Okay, Ileana. Your whole family's been gracious to me. They're like, stop saying that. Okay. Let me, yeah, sorry. <laughs> You're good. <laughs> okay, good. Okay, so um, this summer I started doing this thing where I would just like write to Jesus in my journal. So I wrote one yesterday and it says, Dear Jesus, you have changed my life. A year ago, my life was filled with anxiety, depression, and sin. I would not be here alive without you. It's crazy to think how you seriously changed my life in only one year. You saved me from a life of depression and loneliness, but I know you are always with me every step of eternity. And today I decide that I want to spend eternity with you. Even through all my brokenness and dramatic reasoning. <laughs> Sorry, you knew that. I knew that would happen. You knew that one day I would find you, and today I found you. So take me on this journey in your crazy world and take me wherever you need me, because no matter where you take me, I know you will always be with me. <laughs> she completed it. Oh, so proud of you. That was brave, yeah. Oh, you want this back? Okay, I was going to read it later. Um, thank you so much for sharing. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and have um, uh, Abilene, do you want to come up and, and share a little bit as far as what Holland's, I'm not going to have Holland share, but just as a parent, because she's so young, unless Holland wants to share, but. Is Glenn coming up to you? Yeah. All right. And then we'll, we'll dedicate Weston too. But this is Holland. Everyone say hi to Holland. She's got her special, is it unicorn baptismal outfit on? I think we're going to make this mandatory for all people getting baptized. So 
if you don't get baptized today and it's next week, you're gonna wear a unicorn outfit. Uh, I'll hold this as you're holding. Uh, but just wanted to hear uh, from you guys, just as a parent, uh, what it's like, because just so you guys know too, there is no age limit. Jesus isn't like after this age. Uh, actually, it says little kids will inspire the adults. And so we baptize uh, children here too when the parent decides that they're ready and that's a parental decision. You guys have decided that, Holland's decided that. So just wanna share what that's like for you guys and just any thoughts or feelings you have. Um, so over the course of like, I wanna say a couple months, she's been just more aware of Jesus and um, just her youth is such a inspiration and her um, innocence because it's reminders for us, like you were saying, you know, we get so busy. Um, but she'll stop me while I'm like super busy. Don't want to be interrupted. Like, mom, didn't you hear the sirens? Didn't you hear the ambulance? Shouldn't we stop and pray? You know, so like things like that, you know, she would, um, ask us to do. Um, but just, I want to say three weeks ago, it was before bedtime Mm. and before like, you know, our devotional and things like that. But she said, mommy, I think I want to get baptized. And she's been asking every week and we wanted to push it out, but (laughs) Because it's Labor Day, you know, she she just really, really wanted to. So I felt like even though it's Labor Day, mostly not me, not many people can make it, but really this is what she wanted. What so she wanted. we didn't want to push it out any longer. Yeah. So. Awesome. Well, we're excited. All right. So you want to give her a hand, you guys? She's all ready to go. I'm going to take Weston here. You guys can stay up here. All right, so baby dedication, just so you know, some of us may have grown up different traditions. This is not something where we pray he's saved. So the Bible says that. That's, hold on. Don't go. There you go. <laughs> you got a long life ahead of you. Don't fall out of my arms. Uh, but what we're going to pray for is dedication of the family, that Glenn and Abilene would continue to um, show Christ, preach Christ in their home, uh, and then uh, that Weston would have a heart that the Spirit would already be working his heart for him to, to choose Jesus. So that's what we're going to be doing today. So... Uh, would you join me? Uh, once we're done praying, just so you know, we're going to go right out the back there. You'll, if you wonder what's the baptismal, it's a horse trough with water on it. And so that's what we're in it. That's what we're doing. So look for the horse trough right outside the doors, gather around there, and we'll jump in the baptismal after this prayer. So Jesus, um, we dedicate Weston to you. Thank you for uh, creating him in his mother's womb. Thank you for, you're the one who gave him a personality. You're the one who has plans for him that are beyond what the Pondavitas can even imagine. But you know Jesus, I pray that you give Glenn and Abilene, his brothers and sisters, uh, Lord, give them the strength to encourage faith. Lord, I pray that they would give Weston to you when he's old enough, that he's yours and not theirs. And on this borrowed time, I pray that they parent well, they'd be united. I pray that they could show him your love. I pray that they could show him forgiveness, what it looks like to forgive and repent. I pray they'd show him humility. I pray, Lord, that they would... Um, Show them a, a marriage of what it means to last forever and be committed so that he could see what your love looks like, that it lasts forever, it never breaks. Holy Spirit, would you speak to him at a young age? And we pray that he would hear you, that he would know you, and that he would be one that encourages others as he grows up, prepare his wife, prepare his future kids, Lord, that he'd be a man of faith and faithfulness to you. We pray this blessing upon his life. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more information or to get in contact with our pastoral staff, please go to gotoaccesschurch.com.